Well, it is really, really good to be back here at Valley Christian Church. And, you know, <clears throat> Chris and I uh, were, were here last year, and it's always great to come to a new spot, but it's, it's always extra special to be invited back. And so we're back here this weekend, and, and Chris and I are just really excited to be here and to be a part of uh, what God's doing here in this area, in this region, through this great church. And we just want you to know we, we love your church. I hope you do. But we definitely do, and uh, we just love you. We love what God's doing in this church. Uh, we're, we're really honored to call Dr. Greg and Susie friends of ours, and just appreciate their leadership. and And uh, how many appreciate your leaders you have around here? They... <clears throat> in fact, when I was uh, preparing this message, I actually went to a a scripture that just kind of felt appropriate for my feelings for being here and what I, what I think about when I think of, of your church and what you're doing. And it's in Philippians 1, and I want to just read it real quick and get into the message. But it says this, and this is uh, Paul. He's addressing a church that was special to him. And he says this, and I thank God every time I remember you. In all my prayers for all of you. I always pray with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from this first day until now. And being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it out to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. I just thought that's just a, such a powerful thought, that every time I remember you, I thank God. Let me think that, that would, that's a good type of relationship to have. We all have those people in our lives where when we think of them, we... You know, there may be a lot of different things that come to mind, but, but special friends, when you think of them, you just say, thank God for them. And then it says, every time I pray for you, I don't just pray for you begrudgingly, but it says, I pray with joy, you know, that there's a joy attached to the emotion of actually praying. And, you know, when I was thinking about your church and, and what God's doing here and even the things that you guys are pursuing uh, through this compassion initiative, you know, I'm confident that he who began a good work here will, will be faithful to carry it out. And so I just want to be here this weekend just to encourage you as a people and personally, but also uh, as your church, perhaps what, what God may be saying to you and uh, what he's calling you to and just really thrilled to, to be able to participate in this series. But I want to start, if I can, with a story. And maybe I shouldn't have to use this caveat, but this is a true story, okay? This really happened. Uh, you know, sometimes pastors, you know, kind of... Uh, expound a little bit on the truth. In fact, Jesus actually taught using parables, which were just made-up stories to illustrate something really powerful. But this is a true story, okay? It actually happened to me. I was about 13, 14 years old, and uh, I didn't see it coming. But it seemed like from one day to the next, the girl that lived next door to me went from someone I thought nothing of to someone who consumed most of my thoughts. She was my first real crush. I mean, remember that. Right, my first real crush. And <clears throat> it was interesting because in that brief moment, I actually enjoyed going to school because her older brother had a driver's license. So I rode to school with her every day and got to see her. And she didn't know it, but I was in love. I, I had it real bad. And uh, the only problem was is I, I didn't know what to do about it. Uh, there was something that was there, but I didn't know how to respond to it, so I would, I would sit up late at night and think about our lives together and the love that we might share, and I put mixtapes together. <laughs> Let me remember mixtapes, you know, Richard Marks and NXS, and, 
And I wanted so bad to communicate to her how I felt about her, but I didn't know how to approach it. I didn't know what to say. You know, I didn't know how, how to allow those words to come out of my mouth. But it was interesting. One night, you know, kind of out of nowhere, this, this, this crush developed a rare moment of courage in me. And I actually did something that, looking back, seems a bit impulsive. It's not really, you know, kind of uh, something that I would do in those times because I was typically pretty shy and reserved. But uh, I don't really think, I don't really remember thinking through it. It just seemed to be, just kind of came over me one night. And I remember I just got up and I went and told my mom. I said, Mom, I'm going to, uh, going to hang out with some friends. And so, uh, I gathered my, what money I had, perhaps in my piggy bank, and I got on my bike, and I got on my bike, and I rode across town to the uh, local grocery store. And I look back on Google Maps, it's almost four miles I rode across town. <laughs> and uh, Mom, I'm going with the friends, and I go to the grocery store, and I, there, I went to the grocery store because it's the only place that I knew of that sold flowers. So I go in the grocery store, and I remember I found 12 yellow roses. And I grabbed the yellow roses. I went and got a card and I went to the cashier and I paid for it all and nickels and everything that I had. And I got back on my bike. And so if you can imagine a 13-year-old boy with a dozen yellow roses and a card, you know, pedaling downtown. And uh, I went back to my house and went up to the room and I got out the card and I wrote some kind of sweet nothings, you know, like, I don't know, do you like me? I like you, you know. <laughs> something really poetic. <laughs> I grabbed the card, I licked it, I grabbed the, the flowers, and I went next door. She lived next door to me. And I remember riding my back all the way around and seeing the front door and walking up to the front door, roses and card in hand. And I'm standing on the front porch now. And I remember looking at the doorbell. I remember staring it down, and to, that, to me, that doorbell represented a moment of no return. Like, I remember, like, my finger, like, just inches away from the doorbell, and moving my finger just a couple inches was like a serious step of faith. I mean, it was like a mile wide, right? And I knew as soon as I pushed that button that it would, it would trigger a series of events that I could never go back from. And so I don't know what I, I just impulsively, I just pushed the doorbell and I kind of freaked out in that moment. In fact, I panicked and I don't know what came over me, but as soon as I rung the doorbell, I just grabbed the roses and I laid them at the front of the door and I put the card and I took off running. <laughs> this wasn't my plan. And I run and I run down the driveway and there's a big bushes next to the driveway and I go and I literally hide in the bushes. And I'm looking through the bushes, you know, and I see at this time it's getting dark. So the, literally the front, the front porch light comes on. And I'm watching and I see the door swing open. I'm like, here's my moment, you know. And the person walks out that I didn't want to see walk out. It was her dad. Her dad walks out and looks down and I hear him, you know, he calls out, hello, is there anyone there? And I'm like, <laughs> uh, and you know, so eventually he grabbed the flowers and the card and he goes back inside and I wait a minute and finally just grab my stuff and I ride my bike back around and I remember, I'll never forget it, I rode up, got out, went up to the second floor so I could look over at her house and I sat down in a chair with a 
telephone beside me and the blinds were open and I was waiting for any moment for her to come bouncing out of her door and running into my, towards my yard and we meet halfway, you know, and embrace and walk into our future. <laughs> or at least, you know, for the, for the phone to ring. So I waited and I'll give you the response to that. I'll give you what happened at the end. But I don't know if you've ever been in one of those moments before. Um, maybe it's presumptuous, but I would imagine that we've all been, I'm not talking about a crush, maybe you've been there, but maybe you've been in one of those moments where something compelling has gripped you and you want to do something about it, but you're not sure what to do about it. You know, something needs to be done, something has to be done, but you don't know what to do. And I wonder when's the last time you converted those longing feelings, for perhaps for a future that you don't presently live in or something you feel compelled, maybe even compassionately to do. I wonder when's the last time we converted those into real action. It, it all requires for us to ring the doorbell, as it were, to just push the bell and to take that step. And we could apply that in many ways. I mean, I know through this series we're talking about, you know, this old idea of silent no more. And what does God say about justice? I mean, that requires a great level of courage to step up and to do something. I mean, it's one thing to hear and to see all the problems that we see in our world. It's another thing to see them and be overwhelmed by it and think, what can we do? You know, and so we just sit and do nothing oftentimes. I think we got to push the doorbell. You know, maybe God's, you feel like God's asking you to do something. You feel compelled, stirred to do something, and you don't know what to do. Maybe you need to repair a relationship. Maybe you need to seek help for a problem. Maybe it's something, a dream, an ambitious thing in your heart that you'd like to pursue. And, you know, we all find ourselves, in one way or another, on the front porch staring at a doorbell. And oftentimes, instead of pushing it, we walk away. And it gets me thinking about what it is that causes us to walk away. And the simple answer to that is fear. We're afraid. The fear of the unknown. I don't know what's going to happen once I take this step. What's, what's going to happen on the other side of this? You know, or the fear of I don't know what I'm going to say when I step into it. Or uh, the fear of rejection. You know, what if I step out and this doesn't work? Maybe I get rejected. Or the fear of failure. You know, what if I try and then I lose and this doesn't end up going well? You know, it seems like we spend an awful lot of our lives trying to negotiate with and navigate around certain risks. I mean, every decision that we make, whether we know it or not, intuitively we are weighing and balancing the risk versus the reward of this decision. And it reminds me of a popular parable that Jesus told, and you don't have to go there. I'm just going to sum it up if you can, but if, if I can. But it's found in Matthew 25, and you can, you can read it later, but... It, it's basically a story that Jesus tells. He says there's a servant or there's a master and three servants. Okay? And he gathers these servants together and he entrusts these servants of his with different different amounts of money. Okay? To one guy he gave five bags of gold. Okay? And to another servant he gives two bags of gold. Okay? And then the third one he gives one bag of gold. And then it says that the master leaves for a long journey and he entrusts this 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 valuable treasure, this thing of his own to his servants. And he says, I'm, he, he leaves and ultimately he's going to come back and settle accounts with them. What have you done with what I've given you? And so it says that he's gone for a long time, for a long journey. 
he comes back and he settles accounts and the first time he talks to the guy who was given five bags of gold and the guy greets him along the way and says not only do I have five, the five that you gave me but I took the five bags that you gave me and I invested it and so much so that it that it actually gained a double portion that it returned twice as much so here's 10 bags back wow yeah, the second guy, he was given two bags, and it's pretty much the same result. I, you gave me two, you entrusted me with two, and I used those two and invested it wisely, and now I've given, I have a return of double what you've given me. There's four bags of gold back. And, and the master responds in the same way that we all would like God to actually respond to us one day. And he looks at him and he says, well done, good and faithful servant. You've been faithful with a few things. I'll make you rule over much. Right? It's this idea of stewardship. Okay? But that's not the only one. The other guy was given one bag, the least amount. And this guy comes over and he summons and he stands before the master and he, he says, you're in luck. I haven't lost anything you gave me. I'm going to give you the one bag back. And he gives it back and he's, I think he's kind of waiting on, you know, the master kind of pat him on his back or something, but instead... He responds, and it's not so cordial, and he says, you wicked, lazy servant. Wow. This guy thought, man, I'm actually giving it back to you. It's not like I lost it. I preserved what you gave me. And then he responds by saying, you could have at least put it on loan with the bankers to, to get some type of return on investment. But instead, it says, here's why he had no investment. He says, in fear. In fear, I took what you gave me, and I hid it. I buried it. I took what you gave me, I buried it, and I'm returning to you exactly what you gave me in the middle of that. You know, it sounds like it's faithfulness, really, but really it's, it's about safe living. It's about safety, it's about preservation. And the basic story, by the way, you know, if, in case you're new to all this, it's not about what you do with your money. Jesus is telling this story to say, to begin to look at the things in our lives differently. To begin to look at our, the totality of our lives that God has entrusted us. He's given us different things in our lives. And this guy's got one, you know, he's got certain things and somebody else has something else. But we all have something. And ultimately our job is not to play it safe with the life and the things that God's given us. But actually to invest those things. And to use them in ways that would actually give a return so that we could be found faithful with the life that we've given. It's really ultimately about fear and risk. You're never going to invest something unless you're fearful that you're going to lose it. So oftentimes people, they dream about a future that's different, but they, they just play mixtapes at night. They don't go to the front porch. I mean, if I could sum up Matthew 25 as it relates to risk, it would be something like this. Doing nothing risky is riskier than doing something risky. And I know that's kind of like a riddle, but what I'm ultimately saying is you can't avoid risk. We risk by design or by default. I mean, I come into relationship with people all the time, and they'll talk about how they desire for things to be different. They desire to be close with people, maybe a marriage. They desire to have depth of relationship, but they're afraid to be vulnerable in those relationships. What, it, what will happen if I expose myself or I'm vulnerable in a relationship? I'm going to risk them rejecting me. So instead of being open and vulnerable, they just choose to play it safe. And as a result, we end up risking by default and perhaps even risking something more. 
If you, if you can't risk being open and honest in a relationship, being vulnerable with other people, then what ends up happening is we risk being alone. We risk by default. You can't avoid it. We try to desperately to get around it, but risk is a part of life. It's a part of our relationship with God. I love what John Wimber said. John Wimber said, faith is spelled R-I-S-K. Risk. Faith is spelled R-I-S-K. That's how it feels oftentimes. The Bible says that we're called to live by faith and not by sight. And by sight is about preserving. It's about being, being aware of everything in my world and being confident of the decisions I make based on my understanding and what I know for it to be returned. Faith is an important thing. Hebrews eleven six says, without faith or risk, it is impossible to please God. We can't please God without faith. That's what God actually is looking for us. And, and James, the brother of Jesus, said faith without works is what? Dead. It, it's not real. The faith isn't real until it actually there's some action behind it. Faith has to be more than just a belief system that I have in my head or values that I have here. What James is saying, in order for our faith to come alive, it's got to go from our head to our feet. There's got to be action to it. And what I've discovered is that oftentimes in order for our faith to go from our head to our feet, it's got to go through trembling knees. Because oftentimes it feels really risky. I don't know everything that needs to be known. I don't know how this is going to work. And so I just want to challenge us today to ring the bell. To ring the bell. We don't know the outcome. We don't know exactly how this is going to play out, and that's okay. The Bible is full of stories of men and women who have been asked to do something without knowing everything that they think they need to know before they step out. I'll just read a couple of them. There's this occasion uh, uh, where Abram had to push the doorbell of faith, so to speak, in Genesis chapter 12. Abram, later known as Abraham, the father of faith. Here's what it says in, in Genesis 12, 1 through 4. It says, The Lord said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. And, and all peoples of the earth will be blessed through you. And I love this last statement. So Abraham went as the Lord told him. First, we see this God saying, go, I want you to do something. He says, here's a promise attached to it, but he doesn't give him all the information. He says, go, and then I'll show you where you need to go. But what you need to do is you need to start packing up your things. What I picture, I picture Abram kind of coming home from work, and he starts, you know, packing everything up, and Sarai, his wife, shows up, and he's like, what's happening? And he says, well, we're moving today. I called the U-Haul truck. We're packing up things. I could use some help with this. And she's thinking, well, you know, I kind of like our place here. You know, we, we know our neighbors, you know, everything's nice and cozy here. He said, no, God sold us to move. And he says, okay, Sarah says, okay, no problem, we'll move. Well, where are we moving? And Abram's like, well, we don't know where we're moving. We're just moving. We're getting in the moving truck, and we're going to trust that God's going to tell us and show us where we're going to go. And that, by and large, is how faith works. That a good strategy for us is to have a sense of what God is asking us to do and do it regardless of how we feel. Oftentimes, more information don't come until we ding-dong, push the bell, right? 
Some of us are standing there, we're ready to step out, we're ready to do something, and we're waiting for more information. As if, you know, we're kind of promised that we're going to have all the information that we need before we act. You know, the Bible's full of these occasions that says prepare now for what's coming later. That you begin to prepare now in faith for what's happening. I, I love this glimpse into the barren woman in Isaiah 54. It says this, sing barren woman. You who never bore a child, burst into song. I know you're in trouble and I know you're in pain, but you've got reason to sing. And then he says this, enlarge the place of your tent. Stretch your tent curtains wild. Do not hold back. Lengthen your cords. Strengthen your stakes. He says, you have reason to sing, even though you're in pain. And he says, I want you to prepare now. It's time to remodel the house and add an addition to the room, even though you currently don't have what you need. Wow. God often asks us to do things that make us feel uneasy. It causes like, whoa, I wish I knew how this was going to work. Can you give me kind of the plan now? You know, it's, it's so funny. You know, every, you know, I believe in making plans, okay? We should make plans with our lives, but I think we need to make plans in pencil, okay? We need to have an eraser because how many know that God has a way of adjusting our little cute little tidy little plans that we make for ourselves? Yeah. Prepare now. I'm reminded of the story in Acts chapter 20 where Paul is there and he's with the He's with the elders in Ephesus, and he's feeling compelled to do something from God. And he says this, And now compelled by the Spirit, I'm going to Jerusalem, notice this, not knowing what will happen to me there. (laughs) Oh, I'm going, not knowing. I don't know how this is going to pan out. I don't know what the details are. I just com- I'm compelled by the Spirit. I'm going not knowing. And here's the caveat in verse 23. Oh, the only thing I do know is that in every city the Holy Spirit warns me that prison and hardship are facing me. Wow. I'd like a little know a little bit more information than that. I'm going not knowing what will happen to me. The only thing I do know is prison and hardship are awaiting. However, I consider my life worth nothing to me. My only aim is to finish the race and complete the task the Lord Jesus has given me, the task of testifying to the good news of God's grace. Wow. It's this picture that, that God is actually compelling me to do something. It's not like, oh, I think I might, but that's a picture. The little picture means to be wrapped and tied and drugged by cords. It means I'm being drugged towards something, that this is something that is unavoidable. Yeah, I I don't know how this is going to play out. I don't know how the details are going to be ironed out. In fact, the only thing I do know is it's going to be difficult, and it's going to be trouble, but I'm going, not knowing. Mm. I wonder how often and how many opportunities we miss because we're simply unwilling to step out in faith because we don't have all the information. And I believe that we should, whenever we make a decision, we need to evaluate those decisions wisely. How many think that's a good idea? Yeah, I think it's very important that before we make a decision that we count the cost, right? Because there's a cost associated. And I think about this as a, as a, as a husband and as a dad and especially as a pastor, you know, that my decisions are consequential. Your decisions are consequential. So the decisions you make affect people. They affect your, your friends, your relationships, your family. In my case, it affects the people that I'm called to lead. So whenever I'm like, man, Lord, how do you want me to lead the church that you've given me? What are the decisions you want to make? So I, I spend... A lot of times at night, battling and wrestling through decisions that I make, God, help me to be able to know what the right thing to do. And I'm weighing the cost. Lord, if we did this, here's a cost. And I'm not talking about something, something literal cost. I'm talking about 
you know, what is this going to mean for everyone, right? And I, you know, my personality is kind of a literal, you know, very, you know, pragmatist. I'm detail-oriented. I'm a planner. I like to know how things are going to work. And I think that's a good thing. But recently, I feel like the Lord has sort of been rebuking my little calculations of the cost. Because, frankly, what ends up happening, yes, we should count the cost, but man, if I, can, if I can make decisions somehow to be able to negotiate the cost, is there a way that I can get it cheaper than, than what you're presenting it to? If I can somehow minimize the cost, maybe if we make this decision, it won't cost as much. And if best, the best possible scenario, I can possibly eliminate the cost altogether. Then that's the obvious thing that God wants to do. Yeah. I mean, no, there's a difference between counting the cost and trying to eliminate the cost. That there's a cost associated. It's not like, you know, you're trying to negotiate if there's a thing that I can do to kind of barter with God or barter in this situation to pay less. I oftentimes think that's my instinct to want to be in control of my life and to not be challenged to step out of my own comfort. Right? Can I get this cheaper? <laughs> Wisdom is an important thing, but I wonder how many times has our desire for wisdom and to be rational about things and to be reasonable about certain things have kept us from doing what God asks us to do, to step out. I mean, you talk about serving and compassion and justice, you know. It's going to cost you. It's, it's a sacrifice. You don't know what you're getting involved with, but it's a necessary cost, and God certainly proves himself faithful you know our desire for wisdom i mean i want things to be clear you know as a pastor after every service i pray i'm praying for people and most of the time it's like i need to make this decision is there a way i can do this and sometimes i'm just really troubled because oftentimes we want things to be clear we want the obvious choice as opposed to the right choice we want things to be so reasonable that if i just this is it's, it's interesting god wants me to do exactly what i want to do most of the time. That God really, you know, God, God is leading me in certain ways. And, you know, it's interesting, God, He shares my opinions about everything. He shares my, you know, desires and never kind of pushing us out. And, you know, I, I think clarity is an important thing, but I think it's an overrated thing because the Bible says we got to live by faith, not by sight. You know, it, sometimes it doesn't make sense, and that's okay. But here's the truth. When it comes to our walk of faith and our relationship with God, our greatest need is for courage, not clarity. Courage. To be brave. When's the last time you had to do something truly courageous? Like, well, i, I got to summon strength. I, I feel afraid. I don't know this, how this is going to turn out. But somehow through trembling knees, I'm going to push the doorbell. I'm going to say hello. I'm going to say, I'm going to sign up to serve. That takes a courageous thing. I don't know how this is going to work out. I don't know the details associated with it. That's what faith looks like. See, oftentimes we have this wrong idea of what biblical faith looks like. Okay? It would be like, oftentimes when we think of faith, we think of if you're in an airplane and you're in that airplane and you feel confident because you know there's a parachute and you know how the parachute works, right? You know aerodynamics and you know engineering enough to know that if you have to, then you can depend on the parachute. Okay? But it doesn't demand any kind of action on your part. 
You can just sit there confident and okay that everything is going to be taken care of should you choose to and need to access it. But biblical faith is, is actually a better picture of it is knowing how the parachute works, but putting the parachute on and, the, and through trembling knees being able to trust it in such a way to jump out. Okay? Now, I'm not suggesting jump out of an airplane. I'm suggesting that our faith is not just something we have here. You know, the Bible says even demons believe. They have faith. And, and it says that demons believe and they actually tremble. So maybe their faith is actually more developed than ours. But real faith is not knowing the truth. It's actually trusting the truth enough to act upon it. Yes, I will step out. And it's tough. You know, oftentimes, you know, we're wrestling through decisions that we make. And, you know, I just want to encourage you guys. You know, we all have fears. We all have doubts. We all have certain things that we're wrestling from, and those things are okay. I would just encourage you that in the middle of your fears, in the middle of your doubts, to continue to step out. You know, when James says, pray to the Father, pray without doubting, and we think, well, we can't pray when we have doubts. Well, really, that translation is really, really better. Pray without wavering. Don't waver in your praying. Right. So it says it doesn't really matter how you feel, you know, doubting isn't the same thing as the things that you, how you feel. That I'm going to waver. And I just want to encourage you, don't let your doubts keep you from praying. I don't know how this is going to turn out. I don't know why it happened this way. I'm not going to pretend that I have all that figured out. But I'm not going to allow my fears and my doubts cause me to stay away to trusting God that he's going to deliver and to come through in this specific situation. Don't let your doubts keep you from praying. Come all this way to encourage you. You cannot remove the feeling of risk from a step of faith. You just can't do it. Your faith will never mature enough to get beyond like, whoa, I finally have all the answers I need before I can step out, or I finally have somehow worked out a way that I can negotiate the cost. I just want us to feel, especially as we're being challenged as a people, as a church, to step out in compassionate ways to be about what God's interested in and the justice issues in our world that is going to feel risky. We're going to feel like we're in over our head. And that's okay. But God still wants us, He's encouraging us to step out because we step out in confidence not because we can discern everything to be true and accurate, but because we're stepping out and depending on a faithful God. And He will be faithful. And here's the remarkable thing about how God works He even works through failure. And I would just encourage you, if you've rung a door bell and it didn't end up how you want, you need to step up and ring it again. You know, the, the end of the story, right, with the girl, my 14-year-old, that I just knew we were meant to be together forever. Um, she never called. She didn't show up. It made for a real awkward conversation the next day. On the way to school, let's just pretend that didn't happen yesterday. <laughs> and it was the worst decision she ever made in her life. I'm just pulling that out there. <laughs> but God has an amazing way that even, in our, even when we step out and it doesn't work out how we want, that I learned a very important lesson that day. That risk is worth it. It's worth risking. That I risked and it didn't work out. 
And fortunately, I didn't just stay stuck away and was like, I will never do that again. Thankfully, you know, when the time was right and a little girl named Kristen Walter came around, she said yes. And she called back. Come on, somebody. Yeah. So although we step out and they fail, you know, the Bible is very clear that he calls us all things to work together for good. And I want us to be encouraged in our faith to, to have a go mentality. I'm going to go until I get a no. And I'm just going to trust enough to be on the offense with my faith. I'm not just going to preserve and fear and bury and hide and wait for the obvious thing, but no, in faith, I'm going to step out and I'm going to trust. And we might see some stories. We might be able to recount and tell some testimonies and stories that we might not have had in a long time. You know, but in some ways, you know, it's like last couple months, it's like the Lord's been doing something in my heart, my life. Is, you know, there was a time in my life where I was so hungry, passionate about what God was doing. And when I first started in ministry, it was like, I want to go all in. I, I had big dreams and goals and big faith. And at time, it's not that my faith diminished, it just changed and became a bit more safe. It's like I feel like the Lord's saying, Josh, it's time to pioneer again. It's time to go to new places again. I want you to go back to that place where you're willing to trust in me completely and totally. And I just encourage you as your church. You know, you've got great leaders here that lead you courageously with boldness. I mean, they make some decisions that at times are hard. And I just want to encourage you as a church to, one, honor your leaders that lead you with courage. But, but come alongside them. Don't let them be alone on the front porch looking at a doorbell. How are we going to do this? You know, people all the time come up to me as a pastor and say, Pastor, I'm behind you. And sometimes I want to say, how far behind me are you, you know? <laughs> your pastors, your leaders don't need you behind them. They need you alongside them. And there's a big difference. I believe the great things are ahead for this church and for you as a people. But it's probably going to feel like trembling knees in order to push it forward. I'm believing for great stories and testimonies of deliverance that God might use in your life to allow you to be free from having to depend on your own know-how, your own rationale, and to be able to trust Him to see God do amazing things through it. So I encourage you today. It's worth it. 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 Ring the doorbell. If it means, if it means mending a broken relationship, rekindling a dead dream, Life's too short to play it safe. And at the end of our lives, we want God to say, you've been faithful. And that comes as a result of us taking what he's given us and, and investing it in sometimes risky ways. So I pray God bless you with the courage you need to risk for him. Lord, we love you. Thank you for your word. I thank you that there are so many examples in your word that, that challenge us and push us, nudge us. And, uh, Lord, I pray over uh, this body and this people, Lord. I pray that the great things are ahead of them. Lord, I pray that they would be a group of people passionate about you, what you're wanting to do in and through them, and, God, how you might use them in this community and beyond. But it's going to require us getting over ourselves and stepping out, Lord, because there's people that are not in this room that are hurting and broken and are in deep need. So, Lord, help us to live courageously. And for others, perhaps here, 
who pushing the doorbell for you is not following some impulsive dream that you have. It's really about making your faith sure in Jesus. Not about religion or going to church, but it's about I'm trusting you. And maybe for you, you're waiting for all the answers. They're not coming. They're not coming. I've been walking with the Lord for a long time now, and it feels like I, I, I wake up with new questions. And those questions drive me to Him. They don't drive me away from Him like they used to. So it's like trust. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Lord, we love you. We bless you. Thank you for what you want to do in us and through us. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. God bless you.